0: All right, church, and you all can turn to Zechariah chapter 8, where we're going to be this morning, continuing in our series through Zechariah. And I hope you all have been encouraged by I love looking at the uh, Old Testament prophets and just seeing how... God is encouraging his people through the prophets. And, and a lot of times we can look at the prophets like they were stern, and, but they were calling God's people to himself. God was using them to speak uh, to his people, to, to draw them back, to call them out of the disobedience. And sometimes we need that stern reminder, but we need that love and that grace. And that's that message that we get here in chapter 7 and 8 because uh, we were just in chapter 7 what we saw from God's people is they wanted to know, do we continue to, to do this fast of mourning? Um, it, it had to do with the temple. There were a few other fasts that were going on, and it was the destruction of Jerusalem. And they were mourning that time, though they had already laid the temple's foundation. So they're two years in to this rebuilding of the temple. And this was important because they, they believed that's where God's presence was, right? That's where God dwelt amongst his people was within the temple. So they were wanting to rebuild it, and the general question, right, they've they've started this, there's progress, there's light at the end of the tunnel, and they say, God, do we continue to do this? And chapter 7 was nothing but a stern heart check. It was a rebuke to his people to say, hey, were you ever even fasting for the right purpose? Were your eyes focused on my glory? Or were you caught up in the religious motions of life? And then we come to chapter 8 where we'll finally get an answer to that question. But we get a hope for the future. So the main point as we look at chapter 8, if you're taking notes, especially in your journal, your scripture journal, if you don't have one of those, it's our gift to you. It's in the cafe that's free of charge. We just want you to just join us for the rest of the time in Zechariah. Write those questions down. Take notes and grow in your faith. But the main point is a future hope in Christ. That's what we have, and that was the hope that they needed to hear. They were in a very desperate place, right? They were in a a desperate place, a hopeless, helpless place in need of a Savior, in need of some kind of hope, some kind of spark. And they are reminded here of chapter 8 of this hope that they have in the coming Messiah. And church, we too today, this wasn't just for them, we look back at what Christ did, but we look forward to what he's coming to do and accomplish. Let's be in an attitude of prayer before we go any further this morning. Father God, this is your place. God, this is your creation, and we pray your blessing over this time. We pray that you would just be with our church uh, today, especially today, Lord, that you would just grant us peace, and you would give us wisdom. And Lord, in this time when we approach your word, Lord, would you jump off the pages, would you illuminate your word to our hearts and our minds this morning, that when we leave today, we would be changed and we would go and act according to your word. Live an out and obedient life to the glory of you, our Father, may you remind us of the power of the Holy Spirit to allow us to accomplish these good works. And God, when we understand the power comes from you, may we glorify you and all that we do. God, would you be with us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the point, a future hope in Christ. Even today we have to look to that future Hope. And those desperate situations you learn that you have to look for and cling to that hope that we have in Jesus. And it's in that desperate spot that we should be reminded in our prosperous place that we are also to glorify God and look forward to that hope. You may have all the material things, the physical things you need and all your heart desires, but if our hearts and our minds and our eyes are not focused on the cross of Christ, we're doing it wrong. That was chapter 7. But now we have this hope. And this beautiful picture here and chapter 8 teaches us these these three points to remind us of the hope that we have in Christ and that's that God is restoring all things, he's refining his people and he's expanding his kingdom. We're going to go through each one of those and break that down a little bit as we go through chapter 8. But first off, God is restoring all things. Now you gotta consider the context again. They were in shambles, right? Jerusalem was, was being rebuilt. That you read in Nehemiah around the same time period. The walls were being rebuilt. Uh, Haggai was also uh, raised up as a prophet to call God's people back to the rebuilding of the temple, to, the heart check with the people. Ezra is also dealing with the same time frame. And when you read it, you just see this this desperate spot. And it's crazy because they had just been in captivity for for seven years, right, under the the Babylonian Empire, right? They were held captive, and then God leads them out. That was a part of his judgment on them, like, hey, wake up call, listen, listen, listen. And then they go back, and they're kind of in this weird position of, of not doing what they came back to do, what God had freed them to do. And they're reminded here of this hope. And that, that first point is just that God is restoring all things. Let's look at chapter 8, verse 1. Thus says the word of the Lord. It says, And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. See, God is jealous for his people. That means he has this, this love for his people that it even says he's jealous for them in, in wrath, right? With great wrath, that, that he is protecting them, right? He, he is a, a, a God of, of vengeance over his people, that there's judgment coming one day. That's why we see in the scriptures of the New Testament that, that vengeance is mine, thus says the Lord. That's why we don't go out and just handle law. We don't go out and act as judges. God has established judges. We don't take that into our own hands. No vigilantes around you, right? And we see that, that he has this love. And not only like, to protect them, but to also rebuke them. That they had been under God's wrath and judgment in their time of captivity. And he's reminding them, I have a great love for you. You are my people. You are the apple of my eye. And that's to God's covenant people. To those of you who are in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus in you... Be reminded of those words this morning, too, that God is jealous for you. He is jealous for his bride. He loves his people. His eyes are set. This is his covenant people. And this is a reminder that that would have been so encouraging to them, especially after having that stern rebuke at the heart. It says, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy. I am jealous for her with great wrath. And it goes on in verse 3. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the what? Faithful city. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem Each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts. If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of his people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. See, this broken city would soon be called a faithful city Again, we've talked about it throughout this, uh, this uh, series going through Zacharias. This isn't that of King David, a, a man of great stature who did a lot of amazing deeds and acts and, and, power and showed signs of God's power through him. This was a broken group of people. And if there's ever a book that we could relate to, it would be that of the people of Jerusalem and Zechariah, where we feel like the world around us is, is prospering, the church is the one that's crumbling, but we're reminded that God is restoring. All these broken things. And the, the people who look at the church and, and say that they're hypocrites and, and say all this slanderous, these slanderous things about the church will soon see that we are a faithful people following Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he says this to them, that the city, the broken city would soon be called faithful again. I read this and immediately I thought of um, when I was watching the 2016 Cavs championship. You all remember that, like not not all the championships we made it to, the championship we won, right? And it was like just so spectacular to watch. And I remember the words, and I even even rewatched it again just to like remind myself of the words and the feeling, just to get very excited about this this restoring of all things. But I remember uh, Steph Curry. He, he takes the shot with like four seconds left. He misses, and then this other guy gets it on the the edge and he shoots and he misses too. And they were like, the city of Cleveland is once again, a city of champions. And I was like, yes, it's so exciting. Right? Like it's, it stinks that it's like, well, Cleveland hasn't been champions for so long, but there was that feeling when it was like, once again, a city of champions. I was like, yes, like that's that's what I needed. And I'm reminded that it's not that, that God's people are champions to go and, and wear our ring proudly and like, look, we, we're going to, to heaven, right? Like, God loves us. We are his covenant people. See that championship ring? No, it's that we are his covenant people displaying his glory, extending his grace, extending his mercy, calling sinners to repentance. But we are to be a faithful city. And for them, they were going to be restored to that And church in the new shalom. We will see that in its fullest. When Christ restores all things on that last day, we will see it in its fullest. This was for them, but it's also for us, church. And we long for that day. It had been so long, yet they would be known as a faithful city. You see, the world knew that they were a faithless people. There was once a time when you read in the Old Testament that people feared the Israelites because they knew their God, not because they knew their power. They knew the power of the God, Yahweh, who was leading his people. And God, because of their disobedience, gave them over to their enemy. Look at this picture in comparison to Exodus 20, verse 12. Right here, specifically, this picture of verses four and five of chapter eight. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff and hand because of great age. And the streets shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Then Exodus 20 verse 12 says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. See, they're living. the, The picture, the restoring of all things is that they knew this scripture, And now they're living, the picture that they're getting is that they're now going to be living long in their streets and their streets are going to be filled with children playing everywhere because God's kingdom is being restored on earth as it is in heaven. And then one day in its fullest, we will see it in its perfection. In all of its its glorious nature, we will see it. And if we know Christ, we will partake in it. Verse 7 and 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. See, this is... Here, the essence of God's covenant with them to Abraham and also in Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three, 33, which is, should be on the screen. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God is not just, just redeeming and restoring his people. He's, he's restoring their conflict with their enemies. He says, I will save my people from the east country and the west country. That imagery is that that even the enemies would become the footstool for God, that he is restoring those things. No one will have dominion over us except for the God of creation. He is our Lord, he is our king, and he will lead us. And this was the message that they needed to hear. They'd been rebuked, and then they're reminded of God's grace, they're reminded of God's faithfulness to his covenant. Remember, God made that covenant. God walked through that covenant. His people did not. Ephesians goes on to say that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. No, not one. None. It is simply his gift and it is his grace. And there's this extension to us and a reminder that he's restoring all things so our eyes should be fixed on him, our Lord. You see, God is not simply restoring all things without purpose or action. He has called his people to be holy as he is holy. So the next thing I want to look at is how God is refining his people. Point number two, it's so easy to get caught on the restoring all things, right? Like, I'm, my broken leg, like, I, I'll get back to it. He's going to restore. He's going to fix. He's going to heal me, right? We talk about healing, and, and we talk about this glorious kingdom, and it's beautiful, right? That's, that's what we try and lead our gospel presentations with with the kiddos. And it's like, hey, do you want to go to heaven or not? Do you want to be a part of that kingdom? Streets of gold. It's beautiful. And it's like, that's great, right? That is something that is, is true, and I think it's good to know that, that God is going to restore this earth, all the brokenness that we see of this earth, that the earth is groaning because of the sins and the fallen nature. He's restoring all of that, but he's also refining his people. This is sanctification. This is something that we need to do in our gospel presentations, teaching people to count the cost of what it means to actually follow Jesus. And it wasn't just a, a, it's not just a church thing, it was God's people thing altogether, In the Old Testament, they really struggled with this. That's what the prophets were raised up for. You're not doing what God told you to do. You're not doing it. What does God tell us to do? He tells us to obey him. He teaches us in the the Great Commission that we would go and we would baptize in the name of uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all that he's commanded. Teaching people the Word of God. Why? Not so you know it, but so you feel it and you're changed by it. We have to do that. That heart check in chapter 7 becomes a command here. That those who belong to this people group, who are part of God's people, His covenant people, they act like His people. God's people are to be like Christ, holy. Let's look at verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast, neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. See, God's people are not to fear. They are to be strong and to be faithful. And that doesn't necessarily mean physically strong, right? Like a lot of us would want to take that and be like, we've got to be physically strong. Come on, man, like let's just be super strong. But this is to be spiritually strong. Those who are unwavering in their faith Sure, a a strong man can pick up a stone and begin to lay the foundation of the temple, but God's people, the covenant community, could also do that with a lot less effort and a lot more glorification, right? That we could come together as God's people and get together God's will to be done. That we would rally around that mission. And it's not just this, this physically strong, this spiritually strong, that our hearts would be changed and our lives would be a reflection of the grace that has changed us. Be strong. There was a time where it wasn't like this, right? Verse 11. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of what? Peace. The vine shall give its what? Fruit. And the ground shall give its produce. And the heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purpose to bring disaster to you, when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I, what? Hate. Hate the Lord. See, Christians are also to bear fruit. They were given this, this agricultural promise from God to bless again, that the fruit would produce, the crops would give their gain, and now uh, to the faithful people, right? That, that God was literally giving to their physical needs what they needed. And you see the the dew. It says that the heavens would give their dew. Haggai uh, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, this is what it's talking about. That the dew would come again and it would produce for the crops because there was an act of judgment. It says here in Haggai, Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills On the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all their labors. Now, they would bear fruit as the vine would give its fruit. That God was blessing them again. God was saying that you are my people. I will take care of you. I am restoring all things, but I'm also refining you, my people, to be holy as I, the Lord your God, am Holy. We are to bear fruit. It's not an option. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not difficult, but we have to rest in the power of the Spirit inside of us that can change our actions, that we've been given a new life, a new heart that's no longer beating and and desiring for the things of the flesh, but is being conformed and changed into the likeness of Christ who came and died for us. You see that, that the earth would literally produce this fruit. that the Lord was providing for his people. And it says there in verse 12, the vine shall give its fruit. And this was talking about their physical need, but church, we know who the vine is. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine. He says, you are the branches. Listen to this, this is important. It's contingent. What follows this, this next line, is contingent upon this line. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So if Christ is in us, and we in him, we will bear fruit. You don't buy a lemon tree expecting to get apples, or an apple tree expecting to get lemons. No, you would go and get a lemon tree for lemons, and an apple tree for apples, right? That's what you do. You know what that tree is going to bear. So we as Christians, little Christ, are to bear the fruit of Christ who poured his spirit out to his people. You see, that source is what enables us to speak truth, to make peace, to show love and extend grace, and so on because of Jesus. It's that power that allows us to go out and to lovingly rebuke one another to try and reconcile with one another according to the gospel which reconciled us to God himself. Christ has poured out his spirit enabling us to produce that fruit and Christians will and must produce fruit. We ought to be holding one another accountable in love to this. You see they're called back to do what their forefathers failed to do. Yes. They were to be a faithful people. Yes, they were to call one another out for their sin. If I sin or you sin, we should lovingly do that. But they ended up in judgment for not being those who showed peace. Verse 12 gives, us this, this gives them this look of Jesus coming because it says... For there shall be a sowing of peace. There's going to be a day where peace is coming and it's being sowed into the ground. And that ground is talking about Jesus, that Jesus was sowing peace. He was the peace to come. He's the Messiah. And yes, there's judgment to come, but we look to the peace of Jesus and call sinners to repentance to be reconciled to the Father. There will be this peace. And if you look at it, it says in verse 13, And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you. So will I save you. And you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. And we know what the scriptures say. That through Israel, the world will be blessed. Because of Jesus, who is peace. Right? That he was coming to reconcile his people to the Father. It says... You've been a byword of cursing. They were literally, they became like a curse word, right? Like if you would have been called like an Israelite, like they were a faithless, hopeless, helpless people. They were easy to pick on. God gave them over to their enemy because of their disobedience, but God was coming to restore all things and refine his people. What a great hope that we have in God. That God is not simply restoring the physical things, but the spiritual things. For he is refining and sanctifying his people. But he's also expanding his kingdom. Point number three. This was something that they needed to hear because this was going beyond the walls of Jerusalem, that God was going to extend grace to the Gentiles. Those who were considered enemies and unclean and unworthy were going to be, invited into the kingdom of God by an extension of the gospel for indeed they were to call the world anyway to God but now we see in the new testament the new covenant that the church is expanded and it's people from every tribe tongue and language ethnicity it doesn't matter Christ is redeeming a people for himself and he does not discriminate and who he calls and he's telling them all about this. He's telling them about the peace that he's, he's bringing, that he's reconciling, that he's refining them, but he's also extending. There's this gospel expansion through the church that was to come. And it's no surprise to us now that God has expanded his kingdom to the Gentiles also. If you're not a Jew, you are a benefactor of that, right? A beneficiary, whatever that word is, benefactor. You, you benefit from it. Because we are not, most of us, Jewish. So praise be to God that the extension has met us where we were and changed us for eternity. It's no surprise. Verse 18. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast, this is the answer to chapter 7. Should we continue fasting? Should we continue this fast of mourning when it seems like this is turning into a joyful situation? Thus says the word, the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feast. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. The result of this, those, those, fat, the, those three fasts, four fasts, they, they were ending And said it should be seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feast. So instead of fasting and and withholding to to engage in personal time of prayer, they're now feasting. It's the opposite. We see the contrast, just like the gospel, that we've gone from death to life. It's a stark contrast. They've gone from mourning and fasting to feasting and praising. So good. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, "Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts." I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, "In those days 10 men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Jerusalem would once again be put on notice, and the world would see the glory of their God that goes before them, who now dwells with them, and now today in you. So that when we go, we are an extension of this grace and this peace. So that when we go, we are showing and sharing the goodness of the gospel. The goodness of God who saved us. And in doing so, God is redeeming a people for himself. He's expanding his kingdom. Acts 15 verses 7 through 9 says this. We are heirs of the kingdom by grace through faith. Grace the gift and faith the gift that God has given us to enable our eyes to see the goodness of the gospel. We are to be obedient to that. We are to be reminded of that hope as that hope leads us into the world to share and extend the gospel message that was once extended to you and I. We are not to discriminate on who that is and that doesn't mean black or white. That doesn't mean any ethnicity per se. But we in America have become so comfortable that it doesn't matter what color you are maybe, but we're going to stick in our own little interest groups, right? Because talking to people outside of those interest groups is a little bit difficult. But when it comes to the gospel, there should be nothing that separates us or hinders us from sharing the gospel with them. We should be willing and ready to break through those walls and break down those walls to go and to share this message of hope that Jesus is coming back. And that Jesus once came, fully God and fully man, to live the perfect life and to pour out his blood for his people. That those who repent and believe would inherit the kingdom of God. It says that all who believe in the name of Jesus will not be put to shame. So maybe you're sitting here today, you're like, I know I'm not of that people. I'm not, I'm not a covenant person. Repent of your sins. What does that mean? It means turning away from. Be restored. That God will will restore your spiritual state of death and give you life. That in doing so, he pours out his spirit to you so that he can make you into his likeness. Now, this isn't like match.com and, and God's trying to make you the, just make you the best version of you that you can be. No, he's trying to make you holy for he is holy. He knows what's best for us. And then conforming us and us, us being obedient to him, he is glorified. And then it'll send you on mission a mission that goes to expand the kingdom with no distinction, sharing the gospel with all who would hear and even those who would turn. We share. We extend this grace and peace. We love it. And we cling to it. Ben, you can come back up. Church, I just I want to end with just the practical application here. Again, if, if you're a believer, you have that hope. You know of that hope. Don't let that become stale to you. Let that hope be the hope that leads you to be obedient and to be on mission. Let that hope remind you of the power of the Holy Spirit that saved you. Cling to his word. It says, sanctify me in truth. Your word is truth. The light and the word of God. Be a part of the fellowship, for we are all members of one body, but not the body alone. And go out and share the gospel boldly but with gentleness, with peace, and with grace, let your words be seasoned with salt. To those of you who are here today and you've not repented of your sin or have surrendered your life to Christ, now's the time. I've got nothing to scare you with. All I have to do is say that Jesus paid the price so that those who believe would have eternal life. That is the good news. The bad news is that those who don't will be separated for all of eternity. Repent and believe this morning.